Well, I'm so glad you joined us this morning. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to read the Scripture out loud as we do each week, and we stand together out of reverence for God's Word. We're in a sermon series called The Heart of Christianity, and we're exploring the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, some of the words of Jesus. We'll, this will be on the screen, and I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, I want to talk to you today about the Christian way to resist evil. The Christian way to resist evil. Now, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is interesting because Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, deals in contrast, especially in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is, is contrasting, and he uses this phrase. He says uh, over and over again about multitude of subjects that we've been talking about the last several weeks. You have heard it said. Could you just say that out loud with me? You have heard it said. Now, Jesus here is referencing, you know, basically conventional wisdom, which is the assumptions that you and I share about how life works. It's kind of the, well, of course, uh, yeah, that's, of course, that's what we do. It's, it's the courses of life. And, and you know, like things like, well, of course, if someone takes advantage of you, you have to stand up for yourself. Or, of course, it's better than to rent, to rent, uh, to buy a house instead of renting a house. It's, it's, the, it's the, just the, the conventional wisdom about how life operates. And so Jesus, when he's talking about, you have heard it said, he's talking about that. But he's also talking about the, the way that in his day, the Jewish people were using the scriptures to live, and Jesus was trying to point out that the, a flippant kind of approach had taken hold. People had grown up around the scriptures, and they'd gotten used to it. There's a phrase of familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. In other words, they grew up around it. They heard it all the time, and they were, weren't taking it very seriously. In fact, Jesus described the kind of lifestyle that people were living as a result of this approach to the Scriptures and, and what the Scriptures taught. He called it, um, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he called it the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, the religious leaders. Uh, we know what they're like. And he said, this is not the kind of righteousness, this is not the kind of right living uh, that I'm after. And so in this series... We're trying to explore the heart of Christianity. Now, we, we attempted, I think on Easter Sunday, we tried to do a, a poll, and we had a technical difficulty, and it didn't work. So I put it out on my Facebook, and I asked this question. I said, hey, could you tell me, um, what is your current perception of Christianity? And I, I had, a, you know, A, it's, you know, positive. B, it's mostly positive. You know, C, I'm, it's confused. And, and then D was, you know, mo mostly negative, and, and D all the way at F was, you know, really negative. And I got 
all kinds of responses. I think I got 50 or so responses to people. But what was uh, interesting was not the responses, and if you are friends with me on Facebook, you can go read that and see what people said about it, some really positive things. And, um, but what was interesting to me were the responses that people private messaged me. And um, I, 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 I'm doing this with um, care here because I don't want to out anybody. But here's, can I just give you some snippets of some of the things that they said? Uh, this one person said, well, unfortunately, when you look at statuses and comments on Facebook from people who claim to be Christian, and then they hate people of another race or gay people or basically anyone unlike them, it makes me sad. I feel that's the things that people see and stay away from the church and from anyone claiming to love Jesus, because if you can't love all people, I don't think we're being Christian. Another person said, well, I have a very sad and, and then all, all caps, negative view of Christianity in our country right now. I see things in my past that just horrify me about how we were raised to believe. My mom was so sad much of her life. She struggled so much with depression, and I feel like a lot of it was the rules and negativity in our church. Here's what she said. I'll never go to an evangelical church again unless it's a funeral for a loved one. Someone else said, well, as far as Christianity is concerned, most of the time I'm embarrassed by my fellow Christians. We're rude, snarky, judgmental, ethnocentric, and far from Christ-like. I actually unfollowed a pastor but told him why before I did. If you don't subscribe to his brand of politics, you really wouldn't be comfortable in the church he serves. I promise I still love and follow Jesus. I'm just not overly fond of his, ch- his children these days. Now, why am I, why am I reading you that? Well, I'm just trying to say that there is, in Jesus' day and in ours, a way that people put into practice the words of Scripture that is analogous to what Jesus called the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, it doesn't give life. So here Jesus is contrasting what we've heard said. And then Jesus uses this phrase. He says, but, but I say to you, but I say to you. So we're going to talk about one of those what I say to you's today. Now, I think this is one of uh, Jesus' more challenging words when he talks to us about turning the other cheek. And I, I think it's troubling to a couple different groups of people um, on, on two fronts. There are, I think, people who hear the words of Jesus, you know, turn the other cheek, and if someone sues you, you know, give them more, you know, go with someone two miles. They hear that, and they misunderstand what Jesus says. And generally speaking, these are usually folks who are either used to, they would say, I used to be a Christian, or they're people who are, you know, they don't want to be Christians. And, and when they hear the words of Jesus here, they, they kind of, in a sense, they kind of throw up their hands, as, almost as if to say, like, that is ridiculous. Um, that, that's not practical. It's not realistic. And, and frankly, if that is Christianity, that I have to let someone walk all over me, then I really don't want, I really don't want anything to do with that. But I, I want to tell you that that's actually a misunderstanding of the words of Jesus. And if you're kind of like throwing your hands up at the words of Jesus here, that you're, you're misunderstanding Jesus. I, do, do you know who Ronald Wayne is? You ever heard that name? Well, if you haven't heard the name Ronald Wayne, I guarantee you, you know his friend. It's two of his friends. They're both first names Steve. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, and Steve Wozniak, who's the co-founder of Apple Computer. And Ronald Wayne, they were, there were three of them that founded Apple Computer. 
And way back when Robert Wayne didn't fully understand what was going to happen, he sold, now get this, he sold his 10% stake in Apple for $800. (laughs) He misunderstood what was going to happen. And I just want to say, if that's where you're at, you're, you're hear the words of Jesus, I just, and you think that Jesus is saying, hey, just let people walk all over you, that's a misunderstanding. And your objection is accurate, but your posture is wrong. So there's, there's, that's one group of people. There's another group of people, though, who it's not that they misunderstand what Jesus says here, it's that they misinterpret what Jesus says here. And this is generally speaking people who would say about themselves that they're Christians. And I I just want to tell you that if you misinterpret, then you're going to, the words of Jesus, especially here, you're going to mistakenly make your life worse. Because here's what's right about you is that you hear Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, but your misinterpretation of the words of Jesus makes your life worse. And so you think that God has brought this undue suffering into your life, and somehow that's God's will for you. And so not, rather than throwing your hands up, I mean, your, your posture is right because you want to hold your hands up kind of in an act of, of surrender. But as you're holding your hands up, you're literally getting beaten. Uh, and, and so your, your posture is right, but your interpretation is actually hurting you. And now what do I mean when I talk about your posture, right? I read this week about Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was a spacecraft that was launched in 1977 and uh, to basically go out of our galaxy. Now they think it's probably 14 billion uh, miles away. And still, the signal takes about two days to get back from the Voyager. But on the Voyager is an antenna. And the antenna is oriented at all times. There's a mechanism on the craft that orients the antenna toward the Earth so it can pick up the signal. It's its posture is directed toward the source of information. So I want to give you, uh, if I, before we jump into this, I want to give you three real, if you're taking notes, three really simple principles that I think will help you when you hear Jesus. If, if you're the person who says, I kind of, I, 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 don't, I don't like how Jesus says that, or you're the person who says, well, that must be what Jesus says, and I've got to accept it, and it's a misinterpretation. Three real simple principles. I'm going to do these real quickly. Number one, you've got to understand that Jesus is smart. I get that that's not a category we usually use for Jesus, but frankly, you and I, we don't listen to someone, uh, especially a person in a place of leadership, if we don't think that person doesn't know what they're talking about, right? You're not going to listen. In other words, crassly, if someone's stupid, you're like, I'm not going to really listen to what you have to say. And here's Jesus, who his, one of his followers, what he said about him in his reflection, John, in his gospel, he's reflecting on the, what he witnessed of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with people. And he said, Jesus knew what was in a person. <coughs> when Jesus was young, when he was 12, there's a, a, a scene from his life where he's, um, he's sitting with the best minds of his day at uh, basically the equivalent of Harvard, and he had them spellbound with his intelligence and his insight. You got to say, Jesus is smart. And, and a smart person is going to tell you something that helps you, not hurts you. That's the first thing. Second thing is you've got to recognize that Jesus is talking to people who want to follow him. So let me, let, me, let me be clear here. That means if you're a Christian, then when you hear what Jesus says, 
when I hear what Jesus says, however hard it might be, you and I are to do that. Why? Because you are you and I are following Jesus. In other words, if Jesus does it, then we do it. So now listen, that means that if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you can just overhear this today and you are off the hook. This is uh, Christians sometimes we're guilty of trying to make people who are not Christians live up to our own code. And so I, if you're not a Christian, I, I hope you would overhear this and you would say, you know what, that actually makes sense. And I hope that it makes Jesus more compelling to you and you see how compelling this is for humanity. And then this is the third thing is that you got to understand that Jesus is, especially here, he's describing what his kingdom is like. So he's giving us here illustrations and not a new set of laws. Jesus is describing for you and I what can happen in our life when our heart is transformed by the love and the grace of God. Okay, real simple. Three principles. Let's look at this. These, let's unpack this so we make sure we don't misunderstand or misinterpret what Jesus is saying. Uh, Matthew 5.38, you, you again, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is, um, Jesus is reaching back here to the Old Testament. There are three places in the Old Testament where this phrase, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, is used in, in the case of a, a, a legal matter. Um, one is when a witness lies in court or when a pregnant woman loses her baby and is hurt or killed, the baby's hurt or killed. And then another is a religious dispute and uh, the Old Testament law in all three of those places says, now listen, uh, you can only do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, no more. It was a limiting factor. Why? Well, because of the emotional reaction that happens to you and me when we're done wrong. I just want you to imagine if you're driving down the road today and some Yahoo comes over and cuts you off and rips your bumper off, I, I, and, and you know, it was totally their fault, and you get out of the car, and I just want you to imagine what your emotional response is. I mean, for some of you, your emotional response is, you know, you ripped off my bumper, I'm now going to rip off your head. <laughs> there's, there's a few people. And, and that anger that we talked about a few weeks ago, it fuels the cycle of violence, and this is actually, in the history of law, if you've done any, any study or read on this, this is actually a leap forward to say eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's called lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. It limits retaliation because, because human, human, uh, the human condition is such that, you know, you, you took my eye, well, I'm going to take both of your eyes and an arm. And this actually limits, this, and, and, and honestly, for some of you, Listening, this just you put eye for eye and tooth for tooth into practice. That will be a momentous leap forward for you, right? <laughs> uh, but but the problem is, is is that you and I just we don't often stop at the eye. That's why Gandhi famously said, "An eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind." So then Jesus says this. Okay, so you've heard that said, conventional wisdom, you know the way people have interpreted the scriptures. He says, but then I tell you. I'm going to give you another take. Do not, and the word there is, resist an evil person. Now, we've got to make sure we understand or we will misunderstand or misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. The word there is, a, it's a military word, and it means to oppose someone in kind. Do to them what they did to you. Now, one of the ways that, 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 I, that we've interpreted this as Christians is we've had the wrong interpretation, and, and the wrong interpretation of, of Jesus, what he's saying here, uh, results in what I call doormat theology. 
<laughs> uh, think, think, I, I have a doormat. We have a doormat on the front of our house, and I just want you to, th- I know you don't ever think about your doormat, because that's what doormats are. You don't ever think about them. But what, what, what happens with a doormat? Well, people walk over it. Uh, people wipe their feet on it. They think nothing of it. And, and this is why this is so, such a divisive teaching to people who, you know, throw their hands up about it, and like, this is absolutely ridiculous, say it's unbelievable. You mean, you're telling me Jesus is saying I'm supposed to let people walk over me and wipe their feet on me and think nothing of me? No, thank you. Or the people who hold their hands up and are like, well, that's what Jesus says, so that obviously is what I'm supposed to do. And what results is that, that, that people start to believe, okay, well, I'm su- Jesus is telling us here that we're supposed to let ourselves be taken advantage of. In fact, that's the height of holiness. Oh, to be walked over and had my f- someone wipe their feet on me. If I could only do that for the Lord. And I, I just want to say to both of those, you know, it, misunderstanding and misinterpretation, um, that's the wrong understanding and it's the wrong interpretation because Jesus is not telling you to be a doormat. Now, Jesus in other places tells us that our goal is to serve, but Jesus is saying that because that's what Jesus does. He's, he's a servant. That's his disposition toward people. I'm here to serve and help. I, I, one of my favorite movies, maybe in my top 10, um, it was a number of years ago, Life is Beautiful. Anybody see Life is Beautiful? I know I'm dating myself. If you're young and you've never watched that movie, go, go. I'm sure it's on Netflix or something like that. It's an Italian film, and it's by Roberto Benigni, um, who was the director of it. I think he wrote it as well, but it was about the Holocaust, and I just kind of give it away a little bit. And his little son, they're taken in as uh, Jewish uh, Italians to a, 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 a concentration camp, and he makes it to his son seem like it's a game because he doesn't want his son to see the, the, the horrors of this concentration camp. It's a funny film, moving film. It's beautiful, beautiful film. It's a, one of my top ten of all time. There's a scene, though, where they, before he's taken to concentration camp, he goes and sees, I think it's his uncle in the film, and his uncle is a, is a, is a servant, is a house servant, is a butler. And they're having this interchange about what it means to serve people. And the uncle says something. Always stayed with me. I, I found the quote so I could say it right. He, the uncle says, as a servant, he says, serving is a supreme art. God is the first servant. God serves men, but he's not a servant to men. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, don't resist in kind. In other words, don't engage them in their fight on their level. Now, if Jesus is just saying, never ever resist an evil person and just, you know, like, just beat the pulp out of you, then Jesus would have demonstrated that in his own life, right? If you know the scene where Jesus is at Caiaphas' house and, and there's an interchange with the, the high priest and Jesus, Jesus speaks against what's going on in that scenario, and, if, and if, if this is the actual interpretation is that you're supposed to resist it, then Jesus himself shouldn't have done that, but he did. He resisted in a different way. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22, um, he's getting ready to be flogged and beaten, and he's a Roman citizen, and he, he says to the centurion who's getting ready to flog him, he says, is this what you do to a Roman citizen? Now, if, if the interpretation of Jesus and Paul, who's, who was a better follower of Jesus than the Apostle Paul, um, if Jesus is, was saying, don't resist an evil person, then Paul should have shut his mouth and just taken it. So this is not what, this is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, which is another form of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Luke says that here Jesus says the famous golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? 
And, and the context there is that the, the, the golden rule is not like, go wash your neighbor's car so that then they will wash your car. <laughs> now, that's great. The context is when someone does something evil to you, then you have a chance to show them a different way. Okay, well, how in the world? What do you say, Scott? Come on, what are, you, what are you trying to say? Well, Jesus then gives four illustrations. Again, they're often misunderstood. And, and he's describing in these four situations ways in which someone is over you. It's a situation where someone has power over you and the inequities of the world are on display and gives four illustrations of how to not resist an evil person but to respond in a different way. So let's, let's unpack them just a little bit. 539, it's the famous, most famous one. You know, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, what is Jesus not saying? Jesus is not addressing geopolitical situations and giving counsel about how nations are to interact with nations. It's just not even in, not even in his frame of reference here at all. Uh, Jesus is not, not saying if you're in a fight with someone and someone is ready to beat you to a pulp then, where you may need to protect yourself in some way, hey, just don't, don't do anything. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is not saying here that, that we're to be pacifists, though he is talking about nonviolence. Talk about that in a second. Because what's the situation? There's a real cute little phrase here where Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. Now, why is Jesus saying the right cheek? That's a very specific, everybody who heard Jesus say that knew instantly what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about a scenario where someone gives you a public insult. And there were two ways or two kind of schools of thought about how this might have worked, and they both work either way. Uh, one was your, your, your right cheek, right, is, is there was the, the idea that you had your left hand was the dirty hand where you did dirty business. Are you, are you tracking with me? I don't want to flesh that out for you any more than I'm. It, it, it was the dirty hand, and this was the clean hand, right? You would eat with this hand and other things, right? So this would be a way, if you had your left hand, this would be a way of saying to someone they are dirt, right? So if I use my left hand and I come to you and I want to insult you and I want to slap you across the cheek, I'm using my left hand to do it, right? Or if I did use my right hand, I would take the back of, because if I'm striking on the right cheek, how am I doing it? I'm doing it on, I'm coming across your body and I'm slapping you on the right cheek with the back of my hand. Both of those were ways of communicating to someone because you wouldn't even necessarily do it hard. It was just a way of communicating to someone contempt in physical form. You were saying to someone, I'm above you and you need to know it. Don't miss it. It's not a fight. It's an insult. And it's a social situation where someone wants you to know they're above you. Now, we do the exact same thing. We don't do it that way. We don't, you know, use a left hand and a right hand or backhand people. Um, but we do that with words. We're, we're real sophisticated, some of us, you know, like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> like, let me tell you how I'm above you and how much smarter I am than you. We, we do it with looks. We do it with our position in life. And Jesus is not saying, just take it. Just let them do it. Let them wipe their feet on you and you gain extra holy points. What does Jesus say? He says, turn the other cheek. Okay, so 
if I'm using the left hand and I slap you with the right hand and I've made the insult, I've made the social point in front of other people, I'm better than you. And instead of you taking your social position and saying, I, I guess that's true, you are better than me, I know my place, I'm sorry, sir. What does Jesus say? He says, oh, you slap me there? Go ahead and slap me here. Because then what do I have to do if I'm going to use, I, I have to take my good hand that says that commun- socially communicated in that day, we're equals, and I had to slap you with my good hand. And I had to communicate to you, I'm an equal with you. Or if it was the backhand, then I had to use the other hand. I had to backhand you with the other hand. What was Jesus saying? It's a creative, nonviolent way to resist and say to the other person, I'm not going to respond the way you responded, but there is no possible way I'm letting you get away with thinking that there are people who are higher up and people who are lower down. There's no way I'm going to let you treat me that way or anyone else that way. In fact, you and I are equals. We're on the same playing field. You have dignity because you're made in the image of God, and so do I. And Jesus is saying very, very clearly, I'm, I, show them. Turn the other cheek. It's, it's creative, not, non-violent resistant, right? Remember we, we talked a couple weeks ago about the payback cycle? This is an action outside the cycle. <laughs> then, then next illustration. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, again, this is most of the people listening to Jesus, probably 95% are incredibly poor. Um, most of them likely had lice. Uh, they, they had eyesight problems. They had teeth problems. Um, they had no social capital, no physical capital. They were, uh, they were farmers. They were day laborers. Um, and there was a very thin margin of people who had all the resources and money and land. And so it was the thin layer of people who had the resources and money and land who, when they wanted something, they would go to someone who was poor and they would say, well, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take that from you as well. And so Jesus says, so they're going to sue you and they're going to say, hey, I'm taking your shirt. Well, then you need to give them your coat as well. Now, we kind of miss the the context here because we dress differently. So here's what Jesus is saying is is you're going to go to court and they're going to win because they're powerful and they have money. And they have connections that you don't. And you're going to have to hand over right there your shirt to them. He said, but what I want you to do when you're in that moment, when they've taken advantage of you and shown you how they're above you and you're below them and they can do whatever they want to you, what I want you to do is I want you to then take off your cloak and hand that to them. Now, again, you've got to get the picture here. Take off your outer coat, hand it to them because they took it. When they do that, what I want you to then do is I want you to take... Because the next thing you have is all you got left on. Like there's no, there's no Hanes, right? There's no, you know, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no tidy whities No, there's none of that. What are you? Jesus is like, I want you to right there in court, strip naked and hand them the other thing too. Now, again, we're like, what? What, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, public nakedness was a source of shame and it was not a source of shame as much on the person who was naked as it was on the person who saw the person who was naked. Everybody in that day assumed and understood that. And so Jesus is saying to them, don't you dare let them get away with treating a person made in God's image, you, like that. 
in fact, creatively, nonviolently resist that and show them what they have done because your, your cloak, the, the inner garment, was also what you kept warm with at night. Reveal to them that you are a human being and that they've taken away your right to be a human being. Expose them to a public source of shame. It would be like a single mother who's being evicted and she's doing everything she possibly can and she's in court because she's finally at this moment and she's, she has no babysitter and so she's got her three kids in tow and she's like, this is it, I got nothing and there's the person who's going to sue her because she's like, I want this woman out of my house, my rental, get her out of here and she's got to, and, and the woman to, to, to creatively show the person like, I got nothing, don't you understand? I have nothing, I can't do it. I can't make it if the woman were to say to the judge, well, judge, can I, before we end this, I, I know they're right, and, and I'm, I have to be evicted, but I would like to hand over custody of my three children to this good man. <laughs> it would be the same kind of a thing. Can you, can you start to see the incredible dignity that Jesus gives to the people that we overlook? And can you see, if you're in the category of the overlooked, that Jesus sees you? I mean, I pray that as Christians, we do too. But do you see that Jesus sees you? Then he gives another illustration. I mean, he's like, just hammer, right? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Well, again, everybody in his day knew what that meant. The Romans were the occupiers of the land of Israel, and a Roman soldier, by law, could come to you and say, um, you have to carry all of my gear for a mile. You couldn't do anything about it. You had no rights in the matter. You had to drop what you were doing and what you were concerned about and where you were headed and take this soldier's gear a mile. And it was a way for them to mock you and say to you, I'm over you. I'm better than you. You have to do exactly what I say to you. And, and so Jesus says, okay, when you get to the mile where by, by law you could drop the things and, you know, extend a finger if you felt that way, you'd go back your own way. Instead of doing that, if you have the kind of transformation that I offer to people, here's what you do. You say, no, you know what, I'm going to carry um, this for another mile. And here's, here, it completely t- changed the story because now instead of the soldier laughing at you for a mile, now the soldier is behind you because the soldier is now in trouble because if his commander sees that, he's, that you're carrying his gear beyond that one mile, his commander is going to reprimand him and he's walking behind you. No, no, stop now, stop, 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 stop. That soldier can no longer look at you as just an oppressed person. He has to look at you as an actual person. I mean, this is creative, nonviolent resistance that changes the whole game. And then Jesus, the last one, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. And it's, you know, someone asks you for something on the street, a neighbor, a coworker, and you want to turn away. And Jesus actually here flips the scenario. It's like, wait, now there might come a time when you forget that your neighbor is made in God's image. Give to them as well. Now, I, I hope, I know this is, if you've never heard this, the context of this before, it's kind of mind-bending, and you kind of go, wait, 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 what? I hope what you can see is the, the kingdom heart that is on display here from Jesus. Jesus is not just saying this is a new way to win. That's, that's not what he's saying. I got a better, more manipulative way to make you win. No, no. Jesus is saying a kingdom heart is helping people to see who they are and who you are in light of who God is. Because in each of those scenarios, there's one thing that happens and you repay it with two. Now, if, if you knew the Old Testament law, that's the, that's the payment of a thief. 
And in all those scenarios, someone has been robbed of their dignity and a kingdom heart is, I'm going to give you what is yours and I'm going to give you more than is yours. So you can see who you are and what God's made you to be. This is, this, is a, this is the kingdom heart. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of Jesus. Now, there's, uh, this is, kind of, again, it's just kind of a, I, I remember the first time I realized the context of this and someone explained it to me and I went, oh my word, this kind of changes everything. <laughs> and so I, I think there are three uh, necessary haves, three, three things you, you have to have if you're going to actually put this into practice. If you're taking notes, we'll put them on the screen for you. Number one, you have to have a life that is actually being transformed. Uh, you, you, simply, uh, you and I simply can't do this without our life being rooted in God's transformation. Because it, most of us, we live in the world where we think this is it, right? This is, this is the whole go-around. And, and if this is the whole go-around and someone does me wrong, then i got to take revenge because who else is going to do it for me? It's, it's my only shot... And it's why we give in to revenge. It's what cancel culture is a result of this. It's like, well, this is it. Someone's got to have justice, and so I'm going to take a pound of your flesh. But if, if this is not it, and there is a God of justice who will make all things right, and here and now you are his ambassador of peace and reconciliation, and he is transforming you, then this is not up to you. Revenge is not up to you. I'll give you a real simple image. Uh, the, the, all these things, are, they're kind of like the potholes of life. And maybe you can't fix the potholes of life. But you know, when you go over a pothole, and it's a big pothole, and you've got a small car and a small tire, you really feel the pothole, right? It's like, boom, boom, boom. But if you got in one of those gigantic... Um, construction machines, you know, with the tire that's as big as I am, and, and you go over that same pothole in that tire, guess what? You don't even know the pothole exists. And what Jesus is, this is why you got to be transformed by Jesus, because what Jesus is doing with you, the project he has in your life, is he's, he's, he's making the tire of your life big enough to roll over the potholes of life without being affected by them. Are you tracking with me? So you, you, you have to be in the process of being transformed. You'd just be like, I don't even get why this would work. The second thing is, is you're going to you're gonna have to think carefully. This is what Martin Luther King did in the Civil Rights Movement. Is, uh, he, he went and he said, now listen, um, we have this problem in our country, and, and we've got to do something about it. And, and I, I, he read the words of Jesus. He was a, he was a Christian pastor. And, and he said, you know, Jesus says that we're, he understood the context of this. He said, we can't resist an evil person in kind. We've got to do it in a different way. And so you can look up the history of what he would ask people to do and the, the spiritual preparation he would ask them to go through when they would go through a, a demonstration. I mean, it's powerful, powerful. And, and what he discovered, he said, the only way is kind of, going through the words of Abraham Lincoln, the only way to turn an enemy into a friend um, is to not respond in kind. And so we're not going to respond in kind. We're not going to, when, when someone's violent to us with their words or in a physical way, we're not going to respond in kind. In fact, we're going to respond with, we're going to stay so that they see we're a human being like they are, and we're going to do it in a nonviolent way. And we're, we're gonna, we recognize what the scriptures say when they mean vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and it is mine to repay. And so we're going to leave the cycle of vengeance behind. And, and, and 
this, that's how it's going to work. Now, you might be saying, well, but wait a second. If I do that, that means I can't have a violent response. I can't, with my words or with my actions. I, I, that's not practical in the world we live in, Scott. Well, wait a second. I want to suggest to you, and it's what Martin Luther King said, it's the only practical way to end the cycle. It's the only one that works. It's just like when people talk about in schools, you know, teaching sex education and, and, and you know, I, I'd be on the bus of, you know, hey, teach abstinence, and people will go, well, that's not practical. Okay, well, do you have any method or practice that would guarantee that, you know, a, a teenager doesn't get pregnant or there's not a transmitted disease? Do you, have, do you know of any, any guaranteed way, action or practice someone would engage in that would allow that to happen? And they would say, well, yeah, abstinence, but it's not practical. No, actually, it's the only practical way to solve the problem. This is the same thing. You've got to apply the same principle right here. This is what Jesus is saying. It's the only way to actually solve the problem and change human hearts. There's not another way. So you're going to have to think carefully when you get into a scenario where someone is trying to say they're above you. And that means you're probably going to have to have conversations and you're going to have to have discussions. I hope you're in a group and you have friends who help you wrestle through the difficulties of life and you're going to have to pray and think and inquire and then come up with creative ways of resisting. And then here's the last thing, and it's the most important, is you have to have a resource that's better news than your current bad news. Uh, that, that is the gospel. Now, where, where do we see Jesus doing all of these things, just these four illustrations? Where, where does Jesus do all four of these things? Jesus does them on the cross. When Jesus is struck, what does Jesus do? Does he strike back? No, he doesn't strike back. In fact, Jesus says, I could have called legions of angels, but he doesn't do that. And he's mocked publicly, and he gives no answer. And he lays there on the cross, and people are forced when they look at him. That's an innocent man. We're killing an innocent man. Our system is broken. Jesus was naked. I mean, he was stripped of everything. Talk about being um, stripped of everything. He was sued, if you will, for his shirt. And in response, he gave his cloak, and he gave his body, and he subjected himself to public humiliation. And, and he went the extra mile, right? Jesus not, not, wasn't just beaten, but he was killed on a cross. He was asked to go one mile by his oppressors, and he went two. And his neighbor asked him for something, right? There's the thief on the cross, and the thief on the cross is sitting there, and he says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I see that people are mocking you, but when you come into your kingdom, don't forget me. And what does Jesus give him? He says, oh, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and honestly, we're his neighbor too, aren't we? We need someone to die for our sins because we're a mess. And Jesus willingly says, I'll give that to you. So where, where do we see Jesus doing all four of these things? Jesus does all four of these things on the cross for you. Now, we, um, when you came in, we handed you a, a knife, a plastic knife. And... Um, I, uh, we, we had people asking, like, is, is there peanut butter? What do we, is there rolls? No, no rolls, no peanut butter. This just represents, without God in the equation, without the grace of God in the equation, without the holiness of God in the equation, without the transformation of God's spirit in the equation, without, without Jesus in the equation, this just represents the way we respond to things. 
It's like, oh, you got me? I'm going to get you. And I thought it would be really, really fitting uh, if we... If we could first, if we could see, oh, that's what I've been doing. And we could, in response to Jesus, the example of Jesus, the, the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, say, yeah, I, I, I don't want to do it that way anymore. I'm, I'm not sure I've been fully under, but I don't want to do that any, anymore. So Phil's going to sing a song in a second, and, and, and you, may be at the, you may be of the mind and heart where you go, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely want to, in a, tangible way, commit myself to God and responding the way Jesus says I can respond. And I would invite you, if you would, you can come down, just put it, put that down here on the altar. You're leaving that way of response, right? I, I also think it'd be even more powerful than for you to just go, well, everybody's you know, walking down there putting a knife down, and I probably should put a knife down too if you would actually wrestle with this. And I, I'd love it if over the next coming weeks and all the way leading up into the fall, I'd love in, on the first Sunday of September to see a, walk in here and see a knife where someone's like, yeah, I thought about it. I wrestled with it all summer. You made me mad. That sermon, burr. And I see it. Jesus is saying there's a different way, and I want to go that way. So this is not, this is not pressure. I mean, I'm going to invite you to stand, and you probably know the words to these songs. I want you to sing along. It's going to be our closing song. You're ready. Great. Just leave it here. Go back to your seat. But I want you to see what Jesus offers. Let's, let's pray. Lord, um, thank you that you're smart. <laughs> you have the best information about the most important things. And God, you know better than anyone how we live in a world where we just, it's a payback world. And, and Lord, you know at times as Christians that we've been guilty of just jumping into the, jumping into the cycle. And, and Jesus, we want to do it your way. We want to not resist an evil person the way you tell us to not resist an evil person. We want to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We want to be those people that no one can categorize or label or put into a box or a way of thinking. We just say, like, what is that? We, just, we want to be that different. So God, if, if, um, if we need to think about this for a while... Oh, make us so uncomfortable. Don't let us sleep. When we're, when we're pausing to think, bring this to our mind and the way that you operate in the world where you humbly lay yourself down as a way of bringing us to you, but as a way of breaking the cycle. And Lord, so many of us are in cycles in our families and within ourselves. We don't even know how to break them. And so we know we need you to break any cycle. And so God, give us the courage to take you seriously, those of us who are followers of Jesus, to do what you say, to wrestle with what you say, and to not put it down till we own it for ourselves, Lord. I pray this in your name. All God's people said.